Hello, people of the way. Uh, we're going to continue our study through the book of Leviticus. And if you have your Bibles with you today, turn to Leviticus chapter 14. Leviticus 14. And where we left off last week is in verse 20. That was the last verse where the Lord had us. And it's so interesting because it says here, And the priest shall offer the burnt offering and the grain offering on the altar. So the priest shall make atonement. It's a covering is how atonement translates for him. And he shall be clean. Never ever forget. That's the whole objective. Old Testament, New Testament, that's what the Lord desires for people to be clean. People who don't know Jesus need the blood of Jesus Christ over the doorpost of their heart. People who do know Jesus Christ and do have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we need to keep the blood of the Lamb over the doorpost of our hearts. It's so beautiful when you look in context of the grand scope of Holy Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament together. The new interpreting the old, the old interpreting the new. Look at all the depth of, uh, of understanding of what we've gotten so far thus far through Leviticus, even Exodus. But in Leviticus, going through uh, uh, these offerings unto the Lord and kind of blowing it up as New Covenant believers, look at the depths of what the Lord is showing us. And so we see here the cleansing of lepers and the provision uh, 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 in verse 21. It's for the poor people, for the poor people. And it's so interesting because, you know, poor in the Hebrew, it translates as weak, uh, thin, needy, of course, poor. But then you see a picture of God's provision. Look at what he says here in verse 21. This is the pickup where we left off last week. It says, but if he is poor and cannot afford it, you know, it's so interesting because, you know, you see provision of the Lord, you know, uh, uh, for the wealthy class, the middle class, and the poor class. You know, when we look at the past offerings, what we've studied in earlier chapters in Leviticus, what do you see? If you're wealthy, your offer, your offer, uh, the sin offering uh, is an ox. Like straight up an ox. If you're middle class, it, it, it's like a goat or a lamb, depending on, you know, what type of offering. And then if you're poor, it's a, a turtle dove. A turtle dove. And so it's so beautiful when you see, and not just in the sin offering, but we're going to see in, you know, in Leviticus, what we've studied. And then, you know, in future chapters, we're going to see provisions for poor people. And it just blows me away because it's like, you know, the Lord, I don't know if accommodate is the right word to, to, to use, but it, it's accommodation. The Lord meets us right where we're at. You know, it's like if you're poor and you see like all the rich people are doing this. All the rich people. It's like, man, God only has favor on the rich people. No, he has favor on the poor people too. He wants poor people to be clean. He wants middle class to be clean. He wants the wealthy class to be clean. And I'm just speaking about socioeconomically. That's why, you know, I don't care how dirty you are. I really don't care how dirty you are. I mean, I could tell you stories about the depths of my filth when the Lord found me. And, you know, I don't care what type of lifestyle you're involved with. You know, you're hearing my voice right now. If that's if you're hearing it for the first time and you're like, whoa, what's this guy talking about? I'm telling you, God loves you. I don't care about, you know, what happened yesterday. I don't care about what happened two years ago. Right here, right now, you make a decision. When I tell you God loves you, 
that he sent his son to die on a cross for you. You're like, whoa, you're like, I've never heard that before. I remember when I first heard the gospel. Actually, I had to read the gospel for myself. No one ever told me the gospel. And I had Christian friends. Well, actually, like one. <laughs> I had several, but then as I my, my sin got, you know, uh, deeper, my carnal nature got more intense. Uh, I had fewer Christian friends. And of the ones that were Christians, they were like, you know, lukewarm, very lukewarm. I would say almost cold. But they still knew the gospel, and they never told me. And I had to read the gospel for myself. And it, it, I was mad at these people because they never told me. And it's so cool. You know, it's like how the Lord finds you when he finds you. And you come to the realiz realization of like, like, my slate can be wiped clean. Yes. In Christ, your slate is clean. And I'm telling you, you know, come inside the ark. It's Jesus Christ. Because he loves you. And you see God's provision. He doesn't care, you know, how rich you are. He doesn't care how poor you are. He doesn't care about, you know, your abs, your flabs. He doesn't care. He loves your soul. He loves you. Not you, what you see in the mirror. You, what he sees. He loves you. And so look what happens here in verse 21. But if he is poor and cannot afford it. Remember, like where we left off, you know, that was like for the regular person. You know what they, if they, if they were a leper, you know, they had to go outside the camp. And then when they, they come inside or, or when the priest goes outside the camp to them and sees that he is in fact clean, you know, no more leprosy. Then there's a process that has to happen for that person to be joined back into the camp of Israel. It's a little bit more difficult for a poor person because he or she does not have the resources of the middle class or the wealthy class. But if he is poor and cannot afford it, then he shall take one male lamb. In verse 10, it's two male lambs. Here, it's just one. One male lamb. As a trespass offering to be waived to make atonement for him. Never forget, that's the objective. Covering. From dirty to clean, Old Testament and New Testament, dirty to clean, filthy to clean, you know, mucky to clean. That's what happened to me. That's what happened to you. And he, the Lord is still in the same business because he loves his creation. To make atonement for him. He continues in verse 21, one-tenth of an ephah, a fine flour, Mixed with oil as a grain offering. You know, it was it's a smaller portion for the poor. So it's not the huge portion as before what we studied last week. It's not, I shouldn't say huge portion, but it's just a smaller portion for poor people. A log of oil. A lot of this is kind of, it parallels what we studied last week. It's just for the poor person. And you see smaller portions. You know, one-tenth of an ephah. As opposed to, uh, what was it, uh, 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 three-tenths of an ephah in verse 10. And so he in, also in verse 10, it says two male lambs. <clears throat> Except here in 21, verse 21, it's uh, one male lamb. And so look what happens in verse 22. And two turtle doves or two young pigeons, such as he is able to afford, 
One shall be a sin offering and the other a burnt offering. So look at all the offerings that are covered so far. This is for the poor person. In verse 21, the trespass offering. And then uh, um, um, in verse 22, uh, the sin offering and the burnt offering. And you start to see it's the same offerings, what we studied last week. Same offerings, but in different proportion and type. You say, what do you mean the same offerings? Well, you know, you see the the trespass offering, the sin offering, uh, 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 and the burnt offering. It's the same offering in the eyes of the Lord. There's still different types, different proportions. And you know what's so beautiful about this? Is that it's still a sacrifice both unto the Lord and unto the poor. You say, what do you mean? Unto the poor, a sacrifice unto the poor. Well, you know what a lamb is to a poor person? I meant like in previous offerings unto the Lord, it was like a turtle dove. Instead of an ox, like a poor person doesn't have an ox. A poor person can, you know, can barely afford a sheep. The majority of poor people don't even have like a flock. They're, they work for the wealthy people. So they tend to the flock of the wealthy class. But to have a flock of their own, if they do have a flock, you know, it's maybe a couple sheep. If you call that a flock, you know, I call it a flock. (laughs) But you know what's so cool is like it blows me away so much because you still see the sacrifice. It's for the Lord and unto the Lord. But then at the same time, it's a sacrifice unto the poor person. Because what is a lamb to a poor person? I mean, a wealthy person going out to dinner, you know, a nice restaurant, 500 bucks easy. Husband and wife, 500 bucks easy. You know, depending on what they drink, it could be $5,000. You know, the uh, uh, major D comes out, you know, would you like, you know, holds out their, you know, champagne of the day, their wine of the day. Would you like this freshly imported, you know, or not, you know, maybe it's aged, imported from France, Italy, wherever. Said, no thanks, you know, I'll just have a Coke. I'll just have a Coke. I'll just have some milk, some water. You know, and it's like, well, depending on what you're, uh, 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 a night out on the town, dinner, a nice meal, 500 bucks easy, depending on what they drink, over $1,000, one dinner. But to a poor person, you know, getting a burger is like an extravagance. Getting, you know, a $10 burger is an extravagance. A $5 burger is an extravagance. I mean, when you're poor, I remember a time like we could barely afford... Uh, we, I'd not barely afford, we could not afford one Whopper. I wanted a Whopper with cheese. I'm aging myself a little bit. But Burger King had this deal where you get a, you know, the Whopper was like uh, 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 99 cents. And then a Whopper with cheese was $1.25. And I wanted a Whopper with cheese. And I went to a place to order for a Whopper with cheese. And, you know, she's like $1.25. I, I look at my wallet, nothing. I asked my wife, nothing. You know, couldn't afford it. I said, okay, I'll take it without cheese. Nope, couldn't afford that. And it's like, whoa, that was like an extravagance. It just blows me away so much because when you consider what has to be offered, it comes at a price for the poor person. But then at the same time, I mean, if you ever see like a poor person in a rich rich guy's house, you know, like a poor person goes to like a regular guy's house, you know, it can sit on the couch, can touch things. It's no big deal. 
But then inside of a rich guy's house, you know, it's you have like lamps that are imported from Italy, paintings that are, you know, from China and not knockoffs. They're like original. And, you know, everything's like, whoa, you know, I don't want to touch anything. I don't want to bump into anything. You know, I'm kind of chubby. I'm going to knock something over. I don't want to touch this. If I break it, then, you know, I'm toast. I mean, look at a poor person inside of a rich guy's house. Look at a poor person inside of like a, a, a parking lot of nice cars. I was a guest one time. A guest one time at a pretty fancy place. And this fancy place, you look at like a parking lot and you see like all kinds of different cars. Well, this place, there were all kinds of different cars, except they were, you know, Maseratis, uh, Bentleys, Ferraris, Lamborghinis. And it's like, whoa. You know, I'll get close enough to look, but, you know, I'm not touching anybody's car. I don't want to touch this. I don't want to touch that. It's nice to look at, but that's it, you know. And it blows me away so much because it's like how the Lord takes this special care for a poor person. But then at the same time, it still comes at a cost. A lamb for a poor person. You know how expensive that is? It's... Not an easy feat. And what I love about that in context of Holy Scripture is the price, the cost that it takes for the poor person. You remember our study in Revelation? And in Revelation chapter 2, the Lord indicates seven churches. And all the churches, He says, I love this about you, but this I hate. You know, I love this, but this I hate. You need to repent. You need to repent. You need to repent. Except for two churches. Except for two churches. One was the church in Philadelphia, a model church. The other was the church in Smyrna, also a model church. And you know what the deal was in Smyrna? Poverty stricken. They were a poor church. And then at the same time, we start to read, other scripture verses in congruence with what the Lord teaches us about the poor. I mean, we just studied it last week on, you know, on, on a Sunday. In Acts 20, when Paul says, you know, support the weak. In Galatians 2.10, remember the poor. In James chapter 2, verse 5, the poor are rich in faith. Have you ever been to a poor person's house who's a believer in Christ? And, you know, I live in America and I'm probably going to get a lot of flack for this. Uh, poor people in America, it's it's not the same as it is outside of America. It's been said before that in America is one of the few countries where poor people are fat. In other countries, if you're poor, you are skinny. No food, you are skinny to the bone. And, you know, to the bone and also to the point of death. America is one of the few countries where, you know, you can be poor and fat. We have a lot of social programs here in the United States, and I'm not talking smack about it, you know. It's just an observation. When you're poor in the third world, you know, you're going to die poor. 95% of the time, there's no upward mobility. You see, if you're in America, you're like, wow, there's no upward mobility here. True, it is getting more difficult, upward mobility. But in other parts of the world, when you're born poor, you're going to die poor. 98% of the time. It's 
there's no middle class. It's either it's either rich or poor. And in the third world, I met, I've met families where a, a, an ear of corn feeds a family of six. That's that's dinner, one one piece of corn. One ear of corn. That's the meal, for a family of six. And so in America, you know, you can still go grocery shopping. You know, you have your food stamps. You can, you know, you still have like, you know, social programs for health care, social programs for housing, Section 8, social programs for, you know, cell phones, social programs for Internet, social programs for, you know, fill in the blank. And I'm not downgrading. I'm not denigrating that at all. You know, if that's your station in life, so be it. You know, granted, there's no abuse. I mean, if, 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 if I, I don't want to get on like, you know, a bully pulpit or anything like that. It's, it's, it's for some people, it's their station in life. But, you know, it's to transition from that station in life to what Paul, how Paul exhorts the church. Not to be a burden on the church, not to be a burden on society. And that's what Paul writes about. Read First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians. He says, if you don't work, you don't eat. But there's still the poor. We're always going to have the poor. And it's so beautiful because if you've ever been in a Christian home, except they're poverty stricken. I remember walking to an, into a house, a beautiful, beautiful Christian, a guy I met and I fell in love with. That's brothers in Christ. He wanted to introduce me to his family. He grabs me by the hand, you know, we're like, Walking down the street, and I was like, you know, I, in America, it'd be, I, like, I wouldn't, walking down the street holding the guy's hand, you know, it looks weird. But, you know, where we were at, you know, he's like leading me, you know, and we were just having a good time talking, laughing. And then, you know, I open the, he opens the door, and I walk in, and it's just like a little room, like a 10 by 10 room. That was his house. A little kitchen in the corner, like a little hot, hot, uh, like a little oven, like a, it looked like a little ball, but it was like an oven, you put a fire in there, a big old bed, it wasn't even a bed, it was like a, like a cot, and they put their clothes on it, that was like their mattress, so that bed was the bed for the entire family, and it was also the couch, you know, they had a log that was like, you know, to sit down on, so I sat on the log, I met everybody, well, I met, before I sat down, I met everybody, shook their hands, embraced them, you know, and it was so beautiful to meet this family. Dirt floors. You know, the, the, the streets were cleaner than inside. You know, you, the street, at least the streets were paved. There were sidewalks. You go in this house, it's dirt. And it's like, well, it's so beautiful. But you know what was so palpable? Is their faith. Their faith. It was like, whoa, you could cut it in with a knife. You could, it was like in the air. And how they would pray. Oh, it was just so beautiful. And that's what, it, you know, whenever I read James chapter 2, verse 5, how, you know, we have the, the poor who are rich in faith, that's the first family I think about. This beautiful, beautiful family that the Lord allowed me to meet. So, you know, I, I don't mean to, you know, if you're American or if you're in Western cultures and Europe and you're poor, you know, I, just, I you know, it's not to say like, hey, you know, it's nothing, don't feel bad. You know, I mean, if you're taking it, if you're like, you know, uh, working the system, then feel bad, you know. That's not good to work the system. But if you're like legit in a, a bad situation in dire straits, you know, I'm all for social programs. Because these are programs that help the downtrodden. 
and you know to get out of those those stations in life so i don't want to come off like you know overly abrasive but just put things in a, a more global perspective of you know poverty poverty stricken homes poverty stricken communities poverty stricken christians brothers and sisters in christ and so look what happens here you see this provision is for the poor people but then at the same time, you know, the cost of a lamb, especially understanding that most poor people here, you know, in, in, in the camp of Israel, they didn't have any lambs. They didn't have any flock. These, these were the workers, you know, the, the man would leave home, the father figure, the husband, they would leave home, leave their tent and go and tend the sheep of the rich guy's flock. And so he might have, you know, a small amount of money. But with that small amount of money, he would have to buy a lamb in order for in, in order to fulfill this portion of the law. So leprosy to a poor person, it's a big deal. Huge deal. I mean, it's a huge deal just flat out. It's a huge deal. But for a poor person, it's like, Whoa, this is big because it costs so much. I mean, that's just, I'm just, this is just like a, a quasi cost analysis. But regards to the faith, it's a completely different ballgame. And we're going to open that up a little bit more in future verses. In this, you know, we'll unpackage that in a little bit. But I just wanted to kind of like put that perspective lay it out there so you can understand things a little bit more deep and so look what happens here in verse 23 he shall bring them to the priest on the eighth day never forget eighth day circumcision happens on the eighth day in accordance to the law remember when we when we studied the passage about circumcision on the eighth day we correlated that with uh, doubting thomas what happened to him on the eighth day belief in jesus christ circumcision of heart and circumcision of heart can happen to male, female, Jew, Gentile. It doesn't matter. Young, old. It's like, whoa. How can a female be circumcised? Only in Christ. Only in Christ. He shall bring them to the priest on the eighth day for his cleansing to the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord. So look what happens here. You know, it's to the priest, but before the Lord. And, you know, situationally, look what's happening at the door. At the door, you have the former leper, the offerings, and the priest. And the priest. And this is, the, it's, it's so beautiful when you, remember the words of our Lord when he says, I am the door. And keep that in mind when we study these passages in the law. Whenever you see reference of a door, well, look what's happening there at the door. Such as right now, what we're looking at. It's so holy. It's such a holy interaction it's a holy transaction. And when I say transaction, uh, you know, it's not like at the store transaction. It's a transaction like the process of cleansing, the process of redemption, you know. And it's so beautiful whenever you see passages of the door in the Old Testament, even in the New Testament. Just pause for a moment. Whenever you see door, remember the words of the Lord when he says, I am the door. And then you're, you know, you'll be reading, doing your normal Bible study, and you see the door. 
you know, something written about a door. Well, look what hap- look look what's happening surrounding that door. And I guarantee you, maybe 75, 80% of the time, it's an expansion of a shadow of the things to come, pointing to Jesus Christ, who is the door. You know, he's the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father, but through him. Only through him. One way. And so in verse 24, and the priest shall take the lamb of the trespass offering and the log of and the log of oil and the priest shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord now if you're wondering what a wave offering is we covered that already so I'm not gonna teach on it right now because I've taught on it already so if you're if you're catch if you're like listening for the first time go back to our study in Leviticus 1 and then get caught up so you're gonna have to listen to it till you get caught up do that, and you'll understand what the wave offering is. And so he says here in verse 24, And the priest shall wave them as a wave offering before the Lord. Then he shall kill the lamb. Can you I mean, put yourself in the poor guy's shoes? Number one, you're outside the camp. And then you're outside the camp, kind of ostracized from Israel. You're outside the camp, and then the priest comes to you. You know, and you know, he came to you maybe, you know, the, the uh, several days prior and you had to say unclean, unclean because you were, you still had leprosy. So the priest goes away, comes back, you know, several days pass, comes back and you say clean, you know, the, the number of days pass and you don't say unclean because, you know, you don't have leprosy anymore. And then the priest comes to you, inspects you, you know, says hi and everything, <laughs> Inspects you, checks you out, nothing on your skin, the blemish is gone. It's like, okay, you don't, you don't have leprosy anymore, you're clean. Except there's something that has to happen before the Lord. And that's what we're looking at here. You know, this wave offering that's being offered before the Lord. And then he shall kill the lamb. And what I said, put yourself in the poor guy's shoes. And you know, you spent a lot of money on the lamb. You can barely afford the lamb. Except, you know, you bought the lamb and then all of a sudden this lamb is dead. Do you know how hard that's going to hit you? I mean, I'm just thinking of, you know, monetarily. It's like, whoa, this is a big deal. And I'm placing special emphasis on this for a purpose. Because when you see poor people in the future of what's happening here in Leviticus... We're going to see poor people all throughout the Bible. And you're going to see special treatment given to these poor people. It's almost like a remnant within the remnant. It's almost like a remnant within a remnant within a remnant. And you say, what do you mean? Well, you look at the entire camp of Israel. And then, you know, that's the remnant number one, a special people. And then remnant number two is a special people within that special people. And then the, the, the third tier of remnancy, I don't even know if that's a word, but I'm just saying it. The third tier of remnancy is the poor people. They're, they're uber special. It's, and we're going to see that. And when we see that in future chapters in the Samuels and the Chronicles, when we see that, I'm going to pinpoint, remember Leviticus? Remember, we had these passages, these studies about God's provision for the poor people. And so the fact that it costs 
much for the poor person. And then, you know, this poor person is now cleansed much, so you can, you know, so to speak. And we're going to see this played out in future scriptures. And just to get this very, very basic understanding or the foundational understanding of special treatment for the poor people. And, you know, you see all throughout scripture, you see it in the Gospels, exhortations of Jesus Christ, our Lord himself. And not that, you know, the, you know, the word became flesh. And so, you know, we're looking at Leviticus. That's the word of God. That's the, the words of our Lord. But when I say the Gospels and the, the, the words of our Lord himself, it's like his teachings that came out of his mouth. And so look what happens here in verse uh, 25. Then he shall kill the lamb of the trespass offering and the priest shall take some of the blood of the trespass offering and put it on the tip of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. So you have the ear, the hand, and the foot. Same as in verse 14, what we studied last week. And as a shadow of things to come, what does that point to? Feet to walk, hands to do, and ears to hear. This is an Old Testament example. What, you know, even you know, in verse 14, verse 14 and verse 15, an Old Testament example of faith and works. Faith and works working together, like Brother James writes to us. Faith and works. Remember, all of these things are a shadow of the things to come. You know what's so beautiful about a shadow of the things to come? Everything points to Jesus Christ. Well, when you read little verses like this, like in verse 14 and verse 25, when you read verses like this, you know who's included in the shadow? You. You. Praise the Lord that you have ears to hear. Praise the Lord that you have hands to do. And praise His holy name that you have feet to walk with Him in the gospel of truth. And so look what happens here in verse 26. And the priest shall pour some of the oil into the palm of his own left hand. So it's almost identical to what we studied last week for the middle class person, for the rich person, you know, the normal person. I shouldn't say normal, but, you know, socioeconomically speaking, middle class, you know. But special provision for the poor person. Not as much, uh, 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 you know, one-tenth of an ephah, a fine uh, flour mixed with, the, mixed with oil. And then not two lambs, just one. It still comes at a cost. And now comes the oil into the palm of the priest in his left hand. Verse 27, then the priest shall sprinkle with his right finger some of the oil that is in his left hand seven times before the Lord. And the priest shall put some of the oil that in his hand that is in his hand on the tip of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed on the thumb of the right hand and on the big toe of his right foot on the place of the blood of the trespass of the trespass offering. So this former leper now on his right ear on his foot and on his uh, 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 on the big toe and on his right hand what does he have blood and oil together does that sound familiar of course we see it in verse 14 and verse 17 too what we studied last week but for us today does any of this sound familiar considering the blood of jesus christ and the baptism of the holy spirit Remember, faith and works working together. It's a shadow of the things to come. What Brother James writes to us. 
faith and works? It's not, I have faith, and another guy says, I have works as two separate gifts. He says, no, the two, the two are together. Faith and works are together. And what does that show us a shadow of? Faith and obedience. Belief and obedience. You hear me reference this a lot. But when Brother James writes about faith and works, he points to uh, Abraham and the faith of Abraham. By faith, Abraham did this. By faith, Abraham did this. True. But when you go to Genesis 20 and you read the exact, you know, you read the entire chapter and you start to see like what Abraham did. It was all the command of the Lord. Obedience. That's why I say belief and obedience. It's so incredible. We have these Old Testament examples. We have New Testament examples. And what does it show us when we unpackage it? It hits home. And in some cases, it, hit, it hits home hard. It's very poignant in the mind, in the heart of a believer. I mean, leprosy in, in these times, it's you're ostracized. You're, you're, you can't touch anybody. You can't even be with your family. You're, you're, you're done for a time. And then there's a process of cleansing. And it's so beautiful, this holy interaction with the priesthood and God's people. How the Lord designed it to be. We're going to see in future chapters, it, it gets abused, majorly gets abused. I mean, it, it, it gets abused to the point where they killed Jesus Christ. So when I say it gets abused, we're going to see abuse upon abuse upon abuse upon abuse, ultimately, ultimately leading to uh, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. So what do you see in the church today? Abuse from leadership. Pastors, elders, deacons, bishops, youth leaders. Abuse. Up and down the gamut, you see, you know, the full gamut of, you know, the wide array of abuse. That's why you see, you know, the Lord doesn't like hypocrisy. The whole point is for people to be clean. If you're a pastor, if you're an elder, it's for people to be clean before Him. Not before you, before the Lord. You know, the Lord uses you as a vessel to cleanse if you're a Bible teacher, if you're an elder, if you're, you know, a youth leader, you cleanse people. How? With the word of God. And on your knees before the Lord. That's how you do it. And so let's look what happens here. In verse 29, the rest of the oil that is in the priest's hand, he shall put on the head of him who is to be cleansed to make atonement for him before the Lord. That's the purpose. We're going to see passages in the law where you see like these long, you know, chapters, a verse about very intricate, very detailed, you know, do this, 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 do this. And right at the very end, it'll say to make atonement for him before the Lord. It's like, whoa, that's the whole purpose. You know, I used to skim through passages like when I was a young believer, I really didn't understand Leviticus. And so I would just like, re I would read it for, you know, to, to get my chapter in. I would read it so I could say like, okay, I read it. But I didn't understand it until I started to understand Jesus Christ more. The new covenant. 
And then once I started to understand, you know, more character of the Lord and the nature of our Lord and, you know, my relationship with the Lord got deeper, I'd go back to Genesis and I would read and it'd be like, whoa, it just blew me away. You know, get to Exodus, whoa, my goodness. And then finally get to Leviticus, almost like, you know, sweating bullets because it's a chapter I don't understand. And then I start to read it and be like, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, I get it. Kind of like what we've been studying it. I mean, have you ever read Leviticus before? And you're just like, I don't get it. And then, you know, we start to, you know, study these chapters in context of being new covenant believers. And it's like, whoa, I get it now. And not just I understand Leviticus more. But you understand when I say a holy transaction. You know, when you, you know, when the Lord is a burnt offering. But then what about when you become a burnt offering before the Lord? Just like we studied in earlier chapters of Leviticus. It becomes deeper. And not, you know, not that I, you know, no accolades, you know. I'm just saying that like, you know, I'm just a cup. That's all I am. The Lord poured into me and I pour out. That's it. It's all praise and glory to our Lord. How he teaches us and shows us these things. And so look what happens here in verse 30. In verse 30, And he shall cover one of the turtle doves or young pigeons, such as he can afford, such as he is able to afford. You see, it's, you know, don't be a cheapskate. You know, a poor person could be a cheapskate too. You know, maybe they have $5. And they're such a cheapskate, they say, oh, I only have $3, you know. The Lord knows. Don't be a cheapskate with the Lord. Whether you're wealthy, middle class, or poor. Don't be a cheapskate with the Lord. Remember the woman who gave two mites? Two coins. I don't know the value of those coins. But it's like dropping two pennies. Imagine dropping two pennies in an offering plate. When you have all these people give, dropping big old bags, writing big fat checks to a church. And you're like, whoa, that guy wrote a check for $10,000. You know, and it's not a fake check, you know, it can be cashed, it can be deposited, you know. Whoa, look, that guy, you know, brought in, you know, he put in, you know, five gold bricks. And then you see a little old lady, you know, plink, plink in the can or whatever, in the offering dish or the offering plate. I don't know what they're called, you know, in the offering plate. You know, you hear the plink, plink, and for the Lord Jesus Christ to look at his disciples and point out that woman, single her out. After you have this, all these big old line of people, some with their big old money bags, dressed nicely, nice and clean. And this little old lady, maybe she's a little bit more raggedy. And to point her out and say, she gave the most, you guys. You know how counterintuitive that is to logic? She gave the most? What? This guy wrote a check for 10000 This guy put a big old wad of cash, $100 bills in there. And you're saying the plink plink gave the most? Yep. Because the way, you know, God's ways are different than yours and mine. Because, you know, in her poverty, she gave. That's how the Lord views things. And that's what's so powerful about these studies in the law. 
because you get a little picture of how the Lord views things. And so look what happens here. Uh, in verse 31, such as he is able to afford the one as a sin offering and the other as a burnt offering. These are the turtle doves or young pigeons. One is a sin offering and one is a burnt offering with the grain offering. So the priest shall make atonement for him who is to be cleansed before the Lord. Notice the detail thus far what we've looked at, you know, for the wealthy, the middle class and the poor. Look at all the detail we've had. I mean, we're on the second week. You know, sometimes we finish a chapter in, in, in one study. We, we finish a chapter. But, you know, the Lord had this chopped up a little bit. The detail of cleansing. It's the same today, too. The same today, too. Except it's what Christ does for you and for me. What does the Lord do for you? What does the Lord do for me? He cleanses us. We don't have to wash our garments. He gives us a brand new garment. You know, you can't wash your heart. The Lord can. And don't forget, you know, last week I placed emphasis on the pastors and elders. And I'll do it again today. Pastors and elders have a role to play in this. As vessels. Not as anything special. As vessels. What's special is of the Lord. It's teaching God's word as cleansing. I can't tell you how many times I've been, me personally, have been cleansed by listening to a preacher, a godly man, teach. And it's like a shower for my soul. And if you're a Bible teacher, pastor, elder, or, you know, youth leader, or Bible teacher, that's what the Lord does through you. You cleanse souls. You're a vessel by which the Lord cleanses souls for Him, His flock, not yours. You know, you just, you have tempor temporal stewardship that is given to you by the Lord. And who will be found obedient at the end? So powerful, so powerful, and so beautiful. Because you look at leprosy. I mean, you know, there's this movement today is the Hebrew roots movement. It's to go back to the law, leave the cross and go back to the law, leave Jesus Christ and go back to the law. Don't ever do that. It's a lie from the pit of hell. Because what Satan wants to do, he wants you to leave the cross, is what he wants you to do. And he uses scripture to do it. The same way Satan tried to make uh, Jesus commit suicide, you know, jump off the, 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 the roof of the temple. Don't do that because it is also written. I mean, if people who go, go back to the Hebrew roots and they start to study these things, it's like, okay, you know, am I going to start to sacrifice, you know, this and that? And then at the same time, we're going to talk, I mean, there's... I don't want to get too uh, too much off topic, but there's a lot of sexual things that happen in the Hebrew Roots Movement. All in accordance to the law, but a lot of sexual sin that happens. And the law has loopholes, remember. Those who live by the law will also die by the law. It's 
it was created with loopholes to make room for Jesus Christ. The finality of his atonement. And so let's look at what happens here in verse 32. This is the law for one who has a leprous sore who cannot afford the usual cleansing. So, you know, it's, you know, it's uh, the wealthy, they, they pay a price. Except, I don't know how to say this, and I don't want to come off like, you know, too lax in regards to this, but like an ox to a poor or to a wealthy person or a lamb to a wealthy person, I don't want to say it's no big deal. It's a huge deal. But more so to the poor person. So not to say that an ox or a sheep or a lamb or a goat is no big deal. Because in accordance with the law, in accordance with the offering before the Lord, it's a huge, huge, huge deal. But for the poverty stricken, it's a hundredfold because of the means of that poor person. They don't have the means. And so the Lord makes provision. A lamb to a poor person is a huge deal. And, you know, remember the poor didn't have these flocks. The poor, you know, they were often the workers. And remember Smyrna, Philadelphia and Smyrna. Right? Read uh, Revelation chapter 2 and 3. Look at the exhortation that the Lord has to the church in Philadelphia, which is a good church, a model church. Oh, seven churches. So five, the Lord says, you know, repent. And notice the repent or else. I will remove your lampstand. Repent or I will remove your name from the book of life. Or, you know, repent. It's always repent, repent, repent. Save two churches. One, Philadelphia. Beautiful church. The other, Smyrna. I don't want to say even more beautiful, but I'm tempted to say even more beautiful. They're poverty stricken. They're poor people. And what does the Bible tell us how the poor are rich in faith? And remember, we read the Gospels and the Lord rewards faith. It's special provisions for poor people in the law. And you're going to start to see favorable treatment for poor people in the entirety of Scripture. Old and New Testaments. And you're going to start to understand why. Because it's like a remnant within a remnant within a remnant. So if you're poor, rejoice. If you're poor and work in the system, repent. It's, it, we're vessels of honor unto the Lord. Choose to honor the Lord. And this is, you know, it, a person who is leprous and all of a sudden cleansed before the Lord and this holy, beautiful transaction. And when I say beautiful, it's... I'm referring to the shadow of the things to come. Jesus Christ and you. In verse 32, this is the law for one who has a leprosaur who cannot afford the usual cleansing. In verse 33, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. So before, in verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses. Here in verse 33, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, when you have come into the land of Canaan, you know what I love about this? It's a future event. 
when you have come into the land of Canaan, remember, they're not in Canaan right now. They have a ways to go before they get to Canaan. And when I say a ways to go, it was like a two-week trip. A two-week trip and turned into a 40-year journey. What does that say? It's not, you know, shame on Israel. You know, I don't want to paint it like that. Although there are aspects of like, you know, you're going to feel like, wow, you know, like, how is there, how could they have such low faith? How could they have such disbelief? And, you know, if you're like me and you, you read these passages and it's like, wow, how could they have such low faith, such disbelief? Look in the mirror. Because I too have low faith. I too have, you know, disbelief in some regards. And I say that to my own shame. Because whenever you think something's impossible, remember who you're speaking to. When you're praying before the Lord and it's like, wow, Lord, this is so impossible. You know, sometimes in my prayers I have to say like, you know, repent really quick. It's like, wow, Lord, this is so impossible. It's like, well, forgive me, Lord. I didn't mean it that way, but it's just, I don't, it's so out of my hands. And I love the fact how things are out of our control, out of my hands, out of your hands. I love it. You know why? Because for me, it forces me to my knees. It forces me on my face before the Lord. And I wonder if it does the same for you. You know, wow, Lord, I can't, you know, I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't fix this. I can't fix that. Praise the Lord, because you can't. The same way I can't. But the Lord can. Nothing's impossible for the Lord. Nothing. The creator of all things. Nothing's impossible for him. It's a little exercise in faith. He says, when you have come into the land of Canaan, you know, it's, uh, it's just instruction that is given now for a future station in life. And it's Moses and Aaron. They're the ones being told in advance what to do. And I say that from an applicational standpoint for you as an exhortation for you to apply in your lives. Because sometimes you're going to read scripture and it's not going to apply to your life right now. But it will in the future. So what does that say? Remember. Remember these things. Because as we study, you know, as we continue to study and as the Lord continues to grow you and in your own personal time with the Lord, you're reading his word. You know, you're going to remember the Holy Spirit is going to bring these things to the forefront of your minds. You might be in, you know, five years from now, who knows where you're going to be? Who knows what situation you're going to be in? But the Holy Spirit's going to put it on your heart, bring it to the forefront in your mind, and you're like, wow, I remember when I read that. I remember when I read that. And so now I was given this, or back then I was given an, instru an instruction for a future moment in my life and you're going to be in that moment and you're going to know exactly what to do. Why? Because the Lord gave you the blueprints at a previous juncture. The Lord gave you the blueprints. The question is, will you be obedient? Will you retain it? 
in your heart? Or will you retain God's word in the depths of your soul? And then will you apply it in your life? That's my challenge to you. Myself included, that's my challenge to us. That we be that people. A remnant within a remnant. And if you're poor, a remnant within a remnant within a remnant. And so look what happens here. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, When you have come into the land of Canaan, preparation for a future time, which I give you as a possession, and I put the leprous plague in a house in the land of your possession. And leprous, depending on what translation, some translations have it, they, they straight up indicate as mold or dry rot. It translates as, you know, uh, leprous plague, but, you know, some translations have it as mold or dry rot in a home. But it's, you know, when you guys get to this, you know, you, you guys are in tents, but, you know, you know, here you see like a house. You know, if there's a leprous plague, if there's mold, I don't want to say mold, but some translations say mold and some translations of Hebrew have it as mold. It could be, but it just straight up says a leprous plague in a house. And the, the word in the Hebrew is a leprous plague. And so I don't want to say mold, but, you know, some people interpret it as mold. But he says, and I put a leprous plague in a house in the land of your possession. And he who owns the house comes and tells the priest, saying, It seems to me that there is some plague in the house. So the plague is inside. The plague is inside. And what trips me out so much is that, you know, the plague is inside the house. Except in verse 34, he says, I put the leprous plague there. At the end of verse 34, I put the leprous plague in a house in the land of your possession. And the person comes to the priest. It seems that there's some plague in the house. So the priest, the priest, because the priest studies the word, should know the Lord put that there. Now, why is that there? This, this is the mentality of the priest, in my opinion. And I can make a strong case about it. And I'm making a special point for pastors, for elders, and for pastors and elders specifically. When somebody comes to you and says, you know, there's uncleanness in my home, there's uncleanness in my heart, whatever it is, sometimes they might not come to you flat out. Sometimes in conversation, someone's going to have to say, oh, I got a problem. So, okay, let's sit down, let's, let's get a burger. What's the problem? And, and you know, you're talking and it's like, you're kind of, fact-finding, so to speak. And boom, that's the problem. As somebody's speaking, there's a, you're inquiring, well, what happened here? What did you say? How did you respond? What that? And you're inquiring. And as the, this person is giving feedback in response to your questions, you know, they tell you what, what the problem is, and you start probing. It's like, boom, I found the problem. And once the problem is found, it's not to say, I repent, you know, it's not anything like that. It's to say, okay, let's hit, let's hit the rewind button. Do you remember how you said, I asked you, what did you say? And you said this. And then just ask the person. Your response. Did that glorify the Lord? When you started to cuss out your wife, when you started to cuss out this guy, when you started to beat on your uncle, when you started to 
beat on whoever? Did that deed or saying, did that bring honor to the Lord? And it's a no. You know it's a no. But you're trying to show them their error. Not to throw it in their face, but you're trying to show them their error so that they can understand God's ways. Understand His perspective. It's a very... I don't even have the word to say it. I don't even know how to describe it. It's intimate. A pastor or elder unto a lamb or a sheep. It is very intimate. Because this person is exposing folly. I mean, that alone is an act of humility. And you yourself as pastor or elder need to show humility as well. And that humility is in probing. In, you know, asking a person. How did that glorify the Lord? You told me you cussed this guy out. How did that bring honor to the Lord as a Christian? As a blood-bought soul. You're not, I mean, if you're telling me you're, you belong to you, you know, that's a whole other issue. I, you know, you've, you tell me you're a Christian, you tell me you're, you abide in Christ, therefore you are a blood-bought person. You belong to Jesus Christ. You don't belong to you, you belong to the Lord. And in your own admittance, you told me, by your own admission, that there was dishonor brought to the Lord. What do you need to do, brother? What do you need to do, sister? And I can even say, you know, when that happened to me, I had to fall on my face before the Lord and repent because I dishonored Him. It's almost like leading by example. It's so, it's such, it's so intimate. When somebody in humility comes to you and says, I have a problem. And in equal humility, to say, okay, let's start this process. Let's get this process going. You read the Old Testament. A guy with leprosy, who knows where it is on the body, you know, and says, priest, I think I might have leprosy. Okay. It's okay. You know, just come over here. Let's go where it's private. Let's have some intimacy. Show me. Do you know how much humility that must require? Okay, I'm going to show you. And what if it's like, you know, who knows where it is on the body? And what if it's a female? And I don't want to get graphic or inappropriate. But I'm trying to show it's I don't know how to say it. It's it's I meant to leave yourself vulnerable. Do you know how difficult that is? Like for me personally, there are very few people, very, very few people that I leave myself vulnerable to. 
Very few. And when I say very few, it's very few. Less than five, less than four. Maybe less than three when I think about it. That's why you're going to see when, like, priests in future chapters, when they're disobedient to the Lord, and they start to, they're, they're no longer humble, they're very prideful, like the sons of Eli. I mean, imagine a woman coming to the sons of Eli saying, hey, you know, son of Eli, whatever, you know, uh, Phineas. Hey, Phineas, I have, uh, uh, I think I have leprosy. And then this prideful, disobedient to his dad, disobedient to the Lord, says, okay, show me. Think about what filth is in his mind, as exemplified by the filth of disobedience. And he says, okay, show me. And instead of cleansing the lamb, instead of cleansing the sheep, what does he do with this woman? Mind you, the leprosy hasn't even been dealt with. There's a new layer. Then you understand why the Lord takes lives of priests just like he did the two sons of Moses. Or two sons of Aaron, I meant. The two sons of Aaron. Remember? We studied that a couple chapters ago. Because they offered profane fire before the Lord. And that's what the Lord did. He took their lives. And, you know, think about who, I mean, ask yourself the question, who will you leave yourself vulnerable to? It's probably a small number of people. I mean, if you're female going to a male priest, you say, hey, priest, you know, I think I might have leprosy. And the priest says, okay, show me. That's like, you know, whoa. That's, that's a big deal. Do you know how dead that priest has to be to not let his mind Go into crazy town. And I'm speaking to pastors now and elders. What about when a female comes to you and says, Hey, pastor, I have a problem. I have an issue. And I'm not speaking about the law. But what if a female comes to you and says, I have a, a problem. And you say, okay, you know, well, what's happening? What's going on? Let's go into this private area. Let's have intimacy. And it's not intimacy like the world has, you know, the world's idea of intimacy. It's just like, okay, let's get to a place where we can just talk. And then she starts to open up to you. And if you're a sick and twisted puppy, if you're a sick and twisted, disobedient freak who should not be a pastor, who should not be an elder, Number one, that woman needs help. She is not an object of your pleasure. That woman needs help. Do you know how dead the pastor has to be? Do you know how dead the elder needs to be? To say, okay, let's get you cleaned up. Let's get you cleaned up. Let's have our own Bible study. You say you have this problem with, you know, X, Y, Z. 
that reminds me of this. And you know, you start to read. Do a little special Bible study. It's okay, you know, to tell a person. It's okay, you need to repent. You need to repent. And you know, I'll help you, you know, you know how to do it. But if you don't know how to do it, I'll lead you in the sinner's prayer. And be cleansed again. It's okay. It's it's what the Lord desires. Old Testament, New Testament. Cleansed, cleansed, cleansed. Cleansing, cleansing, cleansing. Priest, clean the sheep. Priest, clean the flock. God's flock, God's people. Pastor, elder, clean the flock. What about a prideful guy who comes to you, hey, pastor, I got a problem. I mean, that alone is like, for a prideful guy to come down to a level of humility to admit, I need help. Pastor, I got a problem. And you're going to sit down and talk sports with him? Yeah, you might have, you know, talked sports with him and might have made a connection. But he's going to walk away with the problem still. Instead of acknowledging his humility and humbling yourself and say, you know what? You need to repent. You see? That's that's pastoring. That's shepherding. That's tending. It's it's holy. It's it's intimate. It's very deep. It's very one-on-one -on -one in some cases. In some cases, it's a husband and wife. I mean, to sit, for a pastor to sit with a husband and wife and for the wife to say, my husband does this, and for the wife, to, the husband to say, my wife is like this. I've talked with pastors before, and they get into some crazy, they start to talk about their sex lives and all kinds of, it's crazy. But when you probe and you inquire, it's to get to the root of the problem. And you know what the root of the problem is? Nine times out of ten, the root of the problem is the person. Just like the root of the problem, the root of my problems is me. <laughs> That's the root of my problems is me. It's my pride. I'm the one that needs to get off the throne of my heart. And the Lord Jesus Christ sits in that throne. It's the same for all of us. We're all in the same boat. And when you have, I don't want to say mastered that, because you're going it, to, it's, we're going to wrestle with the flesh until we're dead. But when you have a grasp on that, a lot of times the Lord says, okay, I want to use you in whatever capacity. Sometimes people say, oh, you know, how's the, I want to be used of the Lord. I want to be used of the Lord. Okay, well, you need to master yourself off the throne <laughs> and put Jesus Christ there and keep him there. You got a ways to go. So I don't want to, I don't want to say it like that. Like, yeah, you have to master that, but you have to become proficient at that is maybe a better way to put that. The acknowledgement that you are garbage self it's self-denial and I, not garbage like you know you're worthless i don't want to say that but it's denial of self not me lord you it's very holy 
just just picture a woman going to a man. A woman going to a priest. Priest. I think I have leprosy. And then the priest says, okay, I need to look at it. I need to inspect it. That's a hardcore question for a priest to give a woman. That's why I say, you know how dead this priest has to be? Dead to self this priest has to be? Because this priest is concerned about this woman needs to be cleansed. And so what if the woman like shows him? Wherever it is. And says, here it is. And the priest has to look at that, you know, not on anything else. Look at that. Say, yep. This is leprosy. Come on. You have to go outside now, you know? You got to go outside the camp. I'm going to check on you, you know. I'll I'll bring you some food. You know, everything's going to be okay. And so, you know, here you are. Just sit here. I'll be right back. You know, here's some food for you. And, you know, maybe check up every now and then. And, you know, on the on the right day, I got to look again. You know, the woman says, unclean. Okay. I'm not going to, you know, come out, you know, maybe say hi. You know, wave at you and bring you some more food. But then, you know, on the appropriate day, come back. She doesn't, you're like well, dying to hear, dying to hear nothing. Dying to hear silence. You take, you know, wow, you know, uh, several days ago she said unclean when I stepped right here. And I take, I'm one step beyond that point and she doesn't say unclean. Okay, awesome. Another step closer, she hasn't said unclean, so you get a little smile on your face. You're like, hey, how you doing? And she says, hey, you know, it's, it's, I'm clean. Okay, I need to look again. She shows you, you look. And that only, you know, okay, you're clean. Let's start the process now. Let's start this holy transaction. You see how intimate this is? Now, I'm speaking in Levitical terms. But for pastors, even elders, when a woman comes to you, be holy. For the Lord is holy. Be holy. If you're a freak show, if you're a perverted pastor, like nasty and disgusting, stinky, nasty, gross, ugly, you can't be a pastor. You cannot be an elder. You need to be dead to self. Denial of carnal things. That's how a lot of you know, a lot of people get into trouble. A lot of churches shut down because of freak pastors, freak elders, disgusting, disgusting abomination of a pastor, abomination of an elder. And people have legitimate problems, male, female, marriages, Kids, people have legitimate problems and need to be cleansed by the Lord. You cannot be a freak pastor. 
You cannot be an abomination of a pastor. You cannot be an abomination of an elder. If you are, step down. Step down because you will give an account. And repent. This is so holy. And so look what happens here. In verse... Um, 36. So in verse 35, the guy comes and says, It seems to me that there's some plague in the house. You know, I have to say a little comment here. This is an exhortation to pastors who kind of, you know, you know, heard me say on Sunday, get very comfortable with being on the outside. Me personally, I'm of the strong, strong, strong conviction that the pastor's place is on the outside. I'm of the strong, strong, strong conviction. Now, very few people can maybe persuade me otherwise, but it, it won't be without discussion. I'm of the strong, strong, strong conviction that the pastor's place is on the outside of the camp. If you're a pastor, yes, tend the flock. Yes, feed the flock. But just as we studied on Sunday, this past Sunday, protect the flock. Protect the flock. You know, and while you're outside the camp, pray for God's flock. Look at a Christian home. Look at all the things that can happen in a home. Look at all the fighting, the bickering, the division, all of this, all of that. That's just husband and wife. <laughs> but then you throw kids into the mix. You know, kids become teenagers. Then you have the whole teeny bopper phase. And it's like, oh, brother, drama phase. But then look at the introduction of drugs, alcohol, little 13-year-old. You know, all of a sudden their friends are getting high. He wants to be cool. And he starts getting high. What about the things of the occult? All these different factions. That's just in one home. Pray. If you're a pastor, pray for your flock. Pray for their homes. You know, one time there was a guy who said, oh, yeah. I got a new place. Can you come pray for the home? And he ended I said, yeah, no problem. We get to the place. He ended up getting mad at me because his wife and kids were there. And I started praying for the home. And when I started praying for the home, you know, it, he got mad because I started praying against certain things. Then he talked to me afterwards. He's like, why did you do that? Why did you do that? You know, when I asked you to come pray, I wanted you to pray for blessings. I said, I know I did. I did pray for blessings. But you don't know what went on in this house. I don't know what went on in this house. You have no idea. Things of the occult, things of you know sexual sin, things of drugs, alcohol. Maybe kids were beaten here in this home. You know, maybe there was uh, prostitution happening in this house. You have no idea. You don't know what visitors are going to come to this house, knocking on the door looking for whoever was the previous owner. Or the previous renter or whoever. You have no clue. And I want to pray against these strongholds that the enemy might have. I don't know. I pray for blessings on your home. I pray for blessings on your life. But I also want to pray against certain factions. I was kind of caught off guard when he confronted me. Because it kind of revealed something to me. Like, don't you pray on offense? It 
revealed something lacks to me from another believer, from another brother in Christ, from a husband, from a father, who the, the husband, the father is the head of the home, the pastor of the home, and I was caught off guard because I was shocked. Like, you're surprised that I'm praying against certain factions and forces for the sake of your protection. Don't you do that? It's when I say a pastor's place is outside the camp, and I it's not rock solid, but I'm, I'm pretty firm in that. It's not rock solid, it's just like it's just pretty hard. But you're highly involved with what's going on in the inside through prayer. Praying for the flock that God has allowed you to shepherd. That you have temporary stewardship of. His flock. Lambs and sheep. So it's almost like if you have carnal eyes, it's almost like no involvement. But if you have spiritual eyes, it's like hardcore involvement and so look what happens here so a guy says it seems to me that there's some plague in the house and then in verse 36 then the priest shall command that they empty the house before the priest goes into it to examine the plague that all that is in the house may not be made unclean so you know how paul tells the church a little leaven leavens the bunch well think about the home if a little leaven leavens a church, think about what it does to a home. Say a church with, you know, a hundred people, a church with 50 people, or a church with a thousand people. And Paul is saying a little leaven leavens that bunch. If a little leaven has that ability on a body of 50, a body of a hundred, think about what it does to a body of five, three, four, a family under one roof. Leaven's a home too. A little leaven can leaven a home. I would say even more so than a church. Just because the sheer numbers. And afterward, the priest shall go in to examine the house. So the house is empty and now it's examined by the priest. You know, this is a kind of a hardcore message for pastors too. And you know, I've been accused of being legalistic and if there is any legalism, I don't call it legalism. I call it obedience. But if there is any legalism, it's in this. For the pastor to pray over the homes of your flock. The residents under one roof. You know, yeah, you're on the outside and I'm pretty firm in that. The pastor's place is on the outside of the camp. because Largely because of what we studied on Sunday. You have a protective role. The wolves come, the wolves die. Spiritually speaking, metaphysically. But you're hardcore involved with what's going on on the inside, except through prayer. Through prayer. And so look what happens here in verse 37. And he shall examine the plague. And indeed, if the plague is on the walls of the house with ingrained streaks, greenish or reddish, which appear to be deep in the wall, translates as lower or depressed inside the wall. That's why some translations say it's mold or mildew. 
because of this description here. But in the Hebrew, there's no the description of whether it's, you know, mold. But some people say it's mold. But there's the appearance of these things. You know, it's ingrained streaks, uh, 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 greenish or reddish, which appear to be deep in the wall. And the priest shall go out of the house to the door of the house and shut up the house seven days or quarantine the house seven days. And the priest shall come again on the seventh day and look. And if and indeed, if the plague has spread on the walls of the house, then the priest shall command that they take away the stones in which is the plague and they, and they cast them into an unclean, unclean place outside the city. You see, so it's, 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 God is, this is like the first passage in verse 40. When there's mention of city, it's not the camp. You know, it says, um, they shall cast them into the unclean, un, into an unclean place outside the city. Before it was outside the camp, like in verse, um, three. And the priest shall go out of the camp. So it, there's always mention of camp. And, you know, in future chapters, you're going to see outside the camp. But in future books, you're going to see outside the city. So God is very, very, very forward looking. I mean, he straight up says in verse 34, when you have come into the land of Canaan, they're not even in Canaan right now. But the Lord knows, okay, I'm leading you to this area. And, you know, I'm making provision. I'm telling you beforehand. I'm giving you the blueprints now. Moses and Aaron, so that you can share it with the people. You know what to do. I think it's so interesting how, you know, it just starts with two. Moses and Aaron. And look at what it blows up into. So beautiful how the Lord works. I mean, look at the upper room. Twelve, it started with twelve. Twelve became nine, or twelve became eleven. And then eleven became zero. Well, actually, 11 became, uh, when you look at, like, Peter, when he was denying the Lord, 11 became 1, became 0. Nobody's with Jesus Christ. And then from there, you know, it became uh, 11 again. And then there was, uh, uh, they cast lots for to replace Judas, became 12. And then the upper room became just blew up to thousands. So look what the Lord does with the small number of people, small, num num small number of obedience, obedient people. When I say God is very forward looking, he's straight up saying in verse 40, outside the city, you know, in, in, you know, he's very forward looking and even into eternity. Further into the future, what do we have? We have the city of David, which is Jerusalem. For us, for you and me today, further into our future, what do we have? The new Jerusalem. The Lord is very forward-looking, and He gives us instruction today, even right now, for the benefit of us, for our walk into eternity. That's what He's been doing, Old Testament and New Testament. And so look what happens. So it's, we're not done. So look what happens in verse 41. And he shall cause the house to be scraped inside all around. And the dust that they scrape off, they, they shall pour out in an unclean place outside the city. So it's like clean up. Clean up. In verse 42. Then they shall take other stones and put them in the place of those stones. And he shall take 
other mortar and plaster the house. So out with the old, in with the new. That's what's happening in the house. Does that sound familiar? Old Testament and New Testament. The Lord does it in the camp. The Lord does it in the city. The Lord does it in the house. And he does it inside you and inside me in these vessels, in these temples. The Lord does it. If we let him. This is so, it's like an Old Testament example of a gut job. Gut job. And that's what the Lord does inside of you and me. Gut jobs. He out with the old, in with the new. The question is, am I going to reckon the old man dead? And are you going to reckon the old man or woman dead? See? Out with the old, in with the new. Carry your cross. Carry your cross. More dead. Dead to self. Remember, the cross is an instrument of death. The instrument of death. And that's what we carry across, our instrument of death. Pastors carrying your instrument of death. So when you know a guy comes to you or a girl comes to you, a female comes to you, Pastor, I got, an, I got a problem. Because you're dead and carrying your, your instrument of death, like, okay. What's the problem? Let's get you cleaned up. It's okay. It's okay. Let's get you cleaned up. But if you're a freak, if you're an abomination of a pastor, an abomination of an elder, and you haven't heeded my warning to step down, look at the things that can happen. Look at the things that can happen. Look at the things that have happened. Look at the things that are happening. All of these things are precursory events to the great falling away, falling away from the faith, the great apostasy as prophesied in Holy Scripture. You say, well, you're too hardcore. I know. There's no other way to live. No other way to live. I've tried it the old way. I've tried it the lukewarm way. I've tried it the cold way too. There's no... I choose hot. You see? I've been done the non-believing way too. I've tried it all. Non-believing, cold, warm. I tell you from experience, it's better to be hot. In verse 43, Now if the plague comes back and breaks out in the house... After he has taken away the stones, after he has scraped the house, and after it is plastered, then the priest shall come and look. And indeed, if the plague has spread in the house, it is an active leprosy in the house. It is unclean. So it's active leprosy, active leaven. It's not good. It's not good at all. It needs to be dealt with. How does it be dealt with? Look at verse 45. And he shall break down the house, its stones, its timber, and all the plaster of the house, and he shall carry them outside the city to an unclean place. It's a total gut job, but it is hardcore. It's like, tear it down. Tear it down. You say, well, that's a bit excessive. I know it's excessive. That's the point. That's the point. I'm all for grace. I'm all for mercy. I'm a lover of grace. I'm a lover of mercy. But you know what else I'm a lover of? Less sin. Less sin. When the Lord says, go and sin no more. People say, yeah, you know, he hung out with prostitutes and 
all these people. I know he did. It's written. He did. But he would tell them, go and sin no more. The Lord rescues you from crack. Don't go back to crack. The Lord rescues you, rescues you from sex. Don't go back to sex. From alcohol. Don't go back to alcohol. From whatever. Don't go back to whatever. From Buddha. From Mary. From Muhammad. Don't go back. You see it's. You have Old Testament examples of New Testament truths. And vice versa. That's how the Lord teaches us. So yes, I love grace. Yes, I love mercy. But you know what I also love is to say, you know, okay, the Lord rescued you from this. Don't play around with this stuff anymore. Go and sin no more. And so look what happens here in verse 46. Moreover, he who goes into the house at all while it is shut up shall be unclean, defiled. It defiled, you know, it, it, it unclean translates as uh, uh, defiled and foul. That's what happens when you go into, I mean, have you ever been to a house where, I mean, it's, it might be clean. It might be like, you know, you, you could put your finger on a table and there's no dust. It's, it's clean. Vacuum swept, everything is clean. But the occupants, you're with the occupants in the house and it's like, well, something, something's wrong here. It's like uh, something needs to be addressed. Carnality in a home. And what are the fruits of carnality? You know, the Lord teaches us the fruits of carnality in Galatians 5. Let's just look at Galatians 5 really quick. In Galatians 5, verse 19, Now the works of the flesh are evident. They, they're clearly manifest, is how it translates, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Straight up, Paul tells us, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he tells us, And it's such a trip because, you know, these are things that are evident. They're palpable when you're in a home. I don't care how clean the house is, like literally. Vacuum swept. Everything's clean. No dust. I don't care about that. What about the occupants in the home? What is it that needs to be addressed in this home? When the Lord says they're evident, the works of the flesh. This is a, let's gather here at the table. I noticed this. Talk to the dad. Talk to the, to the husband. The pastor of the home. Hey, I noticed this is going on in your home. It's not right before the Lord. And you don't say it, you know, boastfully, like, you know, you're the bee's knees. You say it because you want them to be cleansed. You say it in a cleaning manner. Let's get things cleaned up. Let me clean you up and then, you know, let's clean up. You, you clean up, you know, the occupants in your home. And I'll help you. That, that's the Lord's objectives. For people to be clean, 
and for occupants under a, under a roof to be clean. You know what that is? Goshen. That's what it is. If you don't know what Goshen is, go back and listen to our studies in Exodus. Start in Exodus 1 and then get caught up. And you'll understand what Goshen is. It's very important for the life of a Christian. Very important in the life of a pastor, in the life of an elder, to do this for God's people. Remember, get very comfortable with the outside of the camp because you have a job to do. So let's go back to Leviticus 14 now. It says in verse 46, Moreover, he who goes into the house at all while it is shut up shall be unclean until evening, until evening. Remember, there's active leprosy in the house. Active leaven. And what does leaven do? It has a propensity to defile. Just like Paul says, little leavens, leaven, a little leaven leavens the bunch. Take this guy and get him out of the church. Just an Old Testament example of, you know what? He has to be outside the camp. Send him out. He's going to defile the camp. He's going to defile the church. This is unacceptable before the Lord. That is not right. Your rejoicing isn't good. Paul's letter to the church, your rejoicing isn't good. And if a little leaven can do that in a church, think about what it can do in a home with five people, four people, three people. Think about what it can do in a home. You know, maybe more. It says in verse 47, And he who lies down in the house shall wash his clothes, and he who eats in the house shall wash his clothes. So there's a lot of washing going on. A lot of washing of self. When you're exposed to this filth, this defiled house. That's right. You know, as we study these, you're going to hear me make mention of pastors. You have a job to do. Elders, you have a job to do. Bible teachers, youth leaders, you have a job to do. Is to cleanse the lambs, cleanse the sheep. With God's word. With God's word. That's that's the recipe. Those are the ingredients. God's holy word. And if you're a, 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 an abomination of a pastor, an abomination of an elder, you heard me say it. You need to step down and repent. It's hardcore. I know it is. But you're going to give an account. If you're a pastor or elder, you're going to give an account. You will stand before the Lord. And the account that you give, it's going to be more hardcore. You're held to a higher account because of the position you claim. The position you now sit in. So when you hear me say step down, it's in a saving manner. I don't want you to be under that account. Because it could be detrimental to you. That's why you teach the word. And you must be pure. You must be holy as the Lord is holy. And people come to you for help. People come to you in exposing folly, which is humiliating. It's a humble act to do, to to be vulnerable. But it's also humiliating. The nature of your heart 
say, you know what? Let's get you cleaned up. And, you know, depending, there, there, there might be more steps involved. But people need to be clean before the Lord. In verse 48, But if the priest comes in and examines it, and indeed the plague has not spread in the house after the house was plastered, then the priest shall pronounce the house clean, because the plague is healed. You see? It's, it's so beautiful. And he shall take... And he shall take to cleanse the house two birds, cedarwood, scarlet, and hyssop. Then he shall kill one of the birds in an earthen vessel over running water. So a lot of blood. A lot of blood. You're going to see that in the law. A lot of blood. Like just an immense amount of blood from birds, from ox, from lambs, from sheep, from goats. Blood, blood, blood everywhere. And you know what that's a picture of? A lot of sin, a lot of trespassing, a lot of uncleanness before the Lord, a lot of leprosy before the Lord. And what do you see as new covenant believers? The blood of Jesus Christ, which washes white as snow. You and me and to all who believe. A lot of blood for a lot of people. The blood of Jesus Christ over the doorpost of your heart. In verse 50, Then he shall kill one of the birds in an earthen, earthen vessel over running water. This is in the Hebrew, alive water. Living water. Just like he told the woman at the well. Living water. Remember, a shadow of the things to come. And he shall take the cedar wood, the hyssop, the scarlet, and the living bird, and dip them in the blood of the slain bird, and in the running water, and in the alive water, living water. And sprinkle the house seven times. So when you see this running water, it's not a pool of water, it's not a bowl of water, it's straight up running water. Running water, symbolic of the living water, alive water. That comes in Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ. Just like he told the woman at the well in John 4. In closing, verse 52. And he shall cleanse the house with the blood of the bird and the running water and the living bird with the cedar wood, the hyssop and the scarlet. Then he shall let the living bird loose outside the city. You see, it's so beautiful. You know, you started to see a picture of priests. Where are they? Very rarely will you see a picture of a priest in their home. You see the priest in the temple, in the tabernacle, about God's business. You see them outside the camp, and what? About God's business. Get very comfortable with outside the camp. If you're a pastor, get, get cozy on the outside. It's a beautiful place to be because you're protecting the flock. And yeah, you're feeding them, you're tending them. And you're doing a lot of covering for them through prayer. Then he shall let the living bird loose outside the city in the open field and make atonement for the house. And it shall be clean. So what do we have? A clean house, clean occupants. Now, remember in verse 34, when the Lord says, uh, uh, in the last half, I put the leprous plague in a house 
in the land of your possession. I put it there. You see, a lot of Calvinists, a lot of Reformed theology, mainline Presbyterianism, what they start to say is, you see, God created sin. God makes you sin. But whenever you see the Lord doing something like this, like I put it there, ask the question, why? Why? Lord, why did you put this there? And when you keep reading, the Lord will show you. Sometimes for specific individuals. Like, you know, uh, uh, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. You say, Lord, why do you hate Esau? You keep reading. You get to uh, Hebrews. He was a lying fornicator. That's why. People say, you see, he, he, he loves who he loves and he hates who he hates. Well, no, it's much deep. That's kind of basic. That's like, it's, it's pretty basic when you word it like that. But when you read further and expound, the Lord expands. Esau was a lying fornicator. As is written. And we're gonna re- it's going to be revealed in, a lot in Deuteronomy. A little bit in Leviticus, but a lot in Deuteronomy. Why? Just like, you know, Lord, why did you, why, why did you give this person over? You read Romans 1. Lord, why do you give these people over? And the Lord says, why he does it. So, you know, sometimes, you know, I have the conversations with Calvinists. Reformed theology people, and you say, you see, God put it there. Yeah, he put it there, but why? Well, you know, they, they, you know, they were disobedient. Why were they disobedient? It's like, keep asking why. You know, like, you know, the Lord says the faith of a child. Well, what does a child always ask? Why? <laughs> it's so beautiful, you know. Why? 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 And do the same with the Calvinists. You know, God put the, God put the, uh, just like in, in verse 34, uh, uh, I put the leprous plague in a house. Okay. Why did the Lord do that? And then we're going to read in Deuteronomy passages what happens. Uh, blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience. And then not only that, but he also, get, he also shows us the way out. The process of cleansing when, you know, a person is, you know, doesn't have leprosy anymore. The priest comes, sees the guy, you know, I need to see the leprous sore, you know, if it's clean or not. And actually has to inspect and look closely. He has to do that with a male and he has to do that with a female. It's to make atonement for people to be clean again. And it's through obedience. That's what happens when we're obedient to Jesus Christ. You're going to find that you're going to have less problems. The more you're obedient to Christ, it's almost like your problems disappear. The more you're obedient to Jesus Christ, your problems will disappear. My pastor used to say that in California. I used to laugh when he was like, man, my problems are going to disappear if I'm more obedient. I was like, this is a trick. He just wants me to be obedient so you know I'm not a problem, you know. And I started being obedient, and then all of a sudden, like my promises start, or my problems started to disappear. It's like, wow, Lord, your promises were right. 
we learn to trust the Lord more and more, deeper and deeper. And he used to always say, you know, the, my pastor in California, he always used to say that if every Christian were obedient, he would say, I, I wouldn't have to counsel anybody. I would counsel nobody. Because everybody's obedient to the word of the Lord. But that's, it's almost like wishful thinking, you know, because we're all in these earth suits. But the more you're obedient to the Lord, the more your problems would disappear and something else starts to happen. The more others, other people's problems will become your issues to deal with. It's what the Lord does. The Lord puts you in people's lives. Where the Lord, you know, someone will pray to the Lord. I can't tell you how many times, you know, I, I, I get a message from somebody. Hey, you know what? I need help. Can I help you with this? Can, I need your help with this. Can you help me out with this? And I don't say that boastfully. I don't say that pridefully. But my boast is in Jesus Christ. Because He's the one that does this. He's the one that establishes these connections. And praise the Lord, you know. Praise the Lord that He does that. Because that's how He works. It's the manifold grace of the Lord. And so look what happens here. So you, what do we have? You had the clean house, clean occupants, and the pastors who are outside the camp. You know, you're on guard duty. You're still feeding. You're still tending the flock. You're still cleansing the flock. But position, positionally, you're outside the camp and you're on guard. You know, when you're relieved of duty, when you're dead. <laughs> when you're dead, that's when you're relieved of duty. You get new orders when you die. You get new orders. Paradise. In verse 54, this is the law for any leprous sore and scale, for the leprosy of the garment and of a house, for a swelling and a scab, for a bright spot. So in verse 54, 55, 56, what do we have? The scale. Leprous sore and scale. What does Jesus do? He removes the scales. Leprosy of a garment. What does Jesus do? Gives us a new garment. For a scab or and a bright spot, what does Jesus do? He removes the blemishes. You see? It's all the work of the Lord. A shadow of the things to come. In verse 57, To teach when it is unclean and when it is clean. This is the law of leprosy. You see? To teach. In the Hebrew, Yara, Yara. Yara Yara in the Hebrew translates as this to flow as water, to shoot straight, to aim and point, to show, to inform, to instruct. You see? Yara Yara to teach. And you know what? It says here to teach when it is unclean and when it is clean. This is something that is established in the law for the people to have an understanding of what is clean and what is unclean. And how will they know what is clean and what is unclean? Without a teacher. How will they know? Without a Moses, without an Aaron. How will they know? Without the sons of Aaron. How will they know? That's the call of a pastor, the call of an elder, the call of a Bible teacher to flow as water teaching so that people can know so that people can have the discernment to say wow this honors the lord wow this doesn't honor the lord and they have a choice to make i can rejoice or i can repent wow this honors the lord rejoice because the lord is growing growing you and you're matriculating 
You're advancing. You're maturing in Christ. You say, wow, this dishonors the Lord. You know what you do? Repent. And then you move on to perfection. Get back on the right track. So beautiful, this law of leprosy. It's not just, you know, you think of like a sore on the body, you know, in the law. Yeah, it's that. But then at the same time, what's the meaning behind it? It's for people to have discernment for themselves. What is clean? What is unclean? And we're going to see that all throughout the law to make the difference, to make the differentiation between unclean and clean the same as it is, the same as it is today, to this very day. Clean and unclean. Honor to the Lord dishonor to the Lord. We are the ones, you and me, in the same boat. We have choices to make. Choices to make. Lord, I want to be a vessel of honor. And where you find dishonor, Lord, I repent. Lord, I shouldn't have said that. Lord, I shouldn't have did that. Lord, I shouldn't have thought this. To be a clean vessel before the Lord. Why? So that you can be used of the Lord. For his purpose, for his will, his perfect will. So we're going to end our study right here and pick up in chapter 15, Lord willing, next week. God bless you guys. Love you guys.